Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you are joining us here today. If you're new, my name's Chad, and we are excited you're here. Whether you are on-site or online, or if you're worshiping in our modern hymn service right now in a different part of the building, we're glad you're here. I just noticed online we have Eli in Colorado worshiping with us, Christy here in Owasso, Job in Fayetteville, as well as a whole bunch of other people. So if you are on-site, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family? Happy to have you guys. And we are launching a new series today called Mixtape. Now, some of you guys, when you hear the word mixtape or you think about a mixtape, it brings back some awesome memories from the past. Now, others of you, maybe who are a little bit younger, are thinking, huh? I don't get it, and I understand that. My son, Alex, he's almost nine, and the other day, we were going through some boxes in our attic, and we found some old cassette tapes that belonged to Allison and me, and I picked one up, and Alex was like, Daddy, what is that? And that like almost broke my heart, you know? Now, he knows what this is. He knows what a phone is. You can listen to music off that. He knows what this is, Alexa. We can tell Alexa to play a song, and he gets to listen to music that way but he doesn't know what this is. And so I thought I would educate him just a little bit and let him know that this is how mommy and daddy used to listen to music. So in that same box, there was also one of these. Anybody have one of these back in the day? A Walkman? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. And so I didn't have the headphones to go along with it. These are newer headphones because we used to have the kind that had the little metal band at the top and they were about this big, you know what I'm talking about? But I found the newer form of headphones and I let him listen to it. So I showed him, you know, you put a tape in just like that, you shut it, you hit play and you listen to music. I don't know, can you hear? That's Paradise City, by the way, if you want to know. But anyway, yeah, there you go. I don't know if you could hear it or not. But I let him listen to it. And so after a few seconds of him listening to it, I stopped the tape. I was like, so, buddy, what do you think? That's how Mommy and Daddy used to listen to music. And he looked at me, and he goes, Daddy, you are so old. And you know... Maybe I am, I guess I am. But probably if you grew up listening to cassette tapes, you're probably thinking of some songs right now that you used to want on a mixtape. And so I thought to get us started, we play a little game. And so I'm gonna ask Nate to come to the stage. We've already talked about this. He knows he's being called up. Let's welcome Nate to the stage. All right, buddy, we're gonna play a little Name That Tune. Yeah, you can stand right there, that's fine. And basically, we're gonna play like 10 seconds of a song that you may have put on a mixtape back in the day, and we're gonna see if you can guess the name of that, the title of that song. Now, here's the thing, I've got some prizes up here. And so if, if you get one right, we're gonna have three songs, you get one prize, pick whichever one you want. If you get two, you get two. If you get three, you get all three. So your first prize is a First Church mug with a four-set coaster set, you know, so that's pretty cool. The second prize is a First Church tumbler, brand new, still in the wrapper. I haven't used it, I promise. And then the last one is a First Church blanket or throw that you can put in the back of your car. These are great to put in the back of your car or whatever. So you get to get all three today, win all three, if you guess all three songs. Are you ready? Can we do it? Here, we got a mic for you. Let's see, make sure that's on. We got him. You want to talk into it and say, Tessie? We got him yet? I think it's the yellow mic. Maybe. Is it green, yellow? Testing, testing. Still nothing. Okay, we got another mic. Thanks. That's good up for Tim Tibbles. Awesome. Yeah. Hello. Can you hear there me? There we now? go. Now we got it. Awesome. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's play our first clip.
You know it? No. I recognize it. I don't remember Can the I, name. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a hint. Adrian! Does that does that help you out? Rocky, yeah, from the it's movie. It's the theme of the rock it's the theme of the Rocky movies, but it's also what? I the tiger. All right. Hey, hey, that's okay. Uh, you said Rocky. I'm gonna give it to you. I'm a nice guy. Okay, here's the next one. Here we go. Got a guess? Wow. Man, we picked the right guy to come up here, you know? What yeah. Don't my, stop. I'm like, my wife needs to write it down and hold yeah. it up. She knows all these. Here. Okay, what is don't it? Help him out. Believing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he got it. All right. I don't know if somebody helped him out or not, but that's awesome. Yeah, don't stop believing. Little journey there. Okay, and one more. Here it is. Recognize you recognize <laughs> it was also a movie. Dolly Parton sang it. No. Nine to five. Nine to five. All right. I phoned a friend. There you go. You get all three just for being a good sport. So there you go. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Let's give it up for him. All right. I can hear you guys laughing and whispering and all that because I know music is powerful and music can bring about some powerful memories as well. That song, Nine to Five, was a theme song of a movie that Dolly Parton uh, starred in. And my parents on their honeymoon saw that movie. And so I'm sure that song brings back some memories that I don't want to hear about. But still, it brings back memories. Music is powerful. God knows this. God knows that music can comfort us. It can challenge us, it can motivate us, pump us up, it can get us through some difficult times. And that's why in the Bible we have this entire book, this whole book, that's just full of songs, worship songs. We call it the book of Psalms, which is, comes from a Hebrew word that means songs. And we have the lyrics to this music because God wants for us to turn to music in order to get us through the tough times, to pump us up, to motivate us, to encourage us, to challenge us when we need it, depending upon what season of life we're in. And there are 150 of these songs found in this book. And people have been turning to these songs for years, for the very purposes that I just talked about, for thousands of years, really, for the very purposes that I just talked about. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at just a few of those psalms. We go through a mixtape series every now and then, because there's 150 of them. We can't talk about them all in one series. You know, that would last forever. So starting now, we're going to look at five different psalms over the next few weeks. We're going to dive into them and see what we can learn from them. And today, as I kick off this series, we're going to look at Psalm 120. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, that's where we're going to be today is the 127th Psalm. And this is a psalm that was written for a very special and unique purpose. See, most of the psalms are written by this guy named David. You've heard of him before. King over Israel, man after God's own heart, defeated Goliath. But this psalm, Psalm 127, is actually written by David's son, Solomon, who also became king over Israel. 
And Solomon was a man who had great wisdom because he asked God for wisdom and God gave him just that. And this Psalm 127 is part of a collection of Psalms within the book, a playlist, if you will, of Psalms that was known as the Songs of Ascent. Because basically, God asked his people to come back to Jerusalem three times a year for religious festivals and feasts. And Jerusalem was positioned, that's where the temple was, it was positioned on top of a mountain or a plateau, really. And so in order to get there, in order to get to the temple, you had to journey up journey up this hill. And so the word ascent just means to go up or to step up. And what's cool is as Jews from all over the world who were scattered all over the world would come back for these festivals, come back for these feasts, as they would join together, as families would come together and make the journey up the mountain to the city of God, to the temple of God, these were the songs that they, were, they would sing. There are 15 of them. And they're Psalms 120 through 134. And the whole point of these Psalms were to help the people refocus on what really matters. Because remember, these were Jews that were living in different parts of the world in nations where God, the one true God, wasn't recognized. And it's easy to get distracted. So these Psalms were to help the people refocus as they made the journey up the hill to Jerusalem. And we know how easy it is to get distracted, don't we? See, I think that's one of the reasons why God wanted to have these festivals, these feasts, to have the people come back for them. Because sometimes we need tangible reminders about what matters most. It's one of the reasons why I think in the New Testament we get the example to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. It says on the first day of the week, we, the church, came together to break bread. And that break bread is a reference to the Lord's Supper, to communion. Why is it that God wants us to partake of this bread and juice. I mean, isn't that a little weird if you're not used to being in church? It might be God knows we need tangible reminders, object lessons, if you will, to help illustrate spiritual truths. And so God invited his people to come back for these tangible celebrations, to refocus them and help them understand what really mattered in life. Because I'm going to let you guys know a little secret. In case you didn't know this, brace yourself. This is going to be a hard truth, okay? Here we go. You ready? Are you braced? We have an enemy, and his name is Satan, and Satan doesn't like you, okay? Satan doesn't like you, and he doesn't like me. Will you brace for that, okay? Are you ready for that? Now, that may not shock you, and you may not even care, because most research and polls today tell us that more people believe in God than they do in Satan, and I think Satan loves that because he, he knows that an enemy that you can't see can do the most damage. But Satan is very real. Our enemy is very real, and he is out to get us. And Satan knows that he probably won't be able to convince most of us who believe in God to not believe in God. But he knows the power of distraction. And he knows that he can distract God's people in such a way where we're not focused on God and we just, over time, will drift away from God. He's deceptive, and he's good at what he does. In fact, Paul gives us this warning. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan is crafty. He is cunning. He is slick. He knows how to distract us. 
He knows what most good leaders in our culture today know, and is this, vision leaks. Now, I've got this bucket of water up here to illustrate this. Because if, you, if this bucket represents your life and you fill your life with vision, maybe it's a vision for your business or your company, a vision for your family, a vision for your life, but hopefully you're also filling your bucket with God's vision for your life. And that's taking precedence over everything else. But here's the thing. You can fill your life with God's vision, but over time, vision leaks. And if we're not careful, if we're not constantly refilling our lives with what matters, with God's vision, if we're not pouring God's vision back into our lives, eventually God's vision is going to dry up. It's not going to be in us anymore. Satan knows this. And so if he can just distract us from filling our lives with God's vision, then it will dry up. And God knows this as well, of course. That's why God says in his word, he says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And isn't that true? When we can't see what God wants us to see, we stumble all over ourselves. We truly mess up. So we need tangible reminders to refocus us. That's what going back to the temple, going back to Jerusalem was for in the Old Testament period. Because you see, God wanted them to understand that his temple was a symbol of his presence in the world. See, the temple which was present on the earth, was a foretaste of what God was going to accomplish. It was to let the people know that he wasn't an absentee God. He hadn't abandoned his creation, but he had decided to make a home within his creation where his people could come and experience him together as a family. That God wasn't a God who stood at a distance, but God was going to recreate his creation from within. That's why biblical scholar N.T. Wright says this. He says, we are to see the temple as establishing, establishing, so to speak, a bridgehead for God's own presence within a world that has very determinedly gone its own way. The temple was a place within his creation where his glory was revealed and his powerful judgments unveiled. See, when the people went back to the temple, what God was trying to do was rally them because they were in a world that was going in the opposite direction of God. They were in a world that was constantly distracting them. And so they needed to regularly come back and have a pep rally, basically. Come back and rally around the God who's still in control. Rally around their God who's still seated on the throne. Rally around the God who holds everything in his hands. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like over the past few years, Satan has been attacking his people and our culture like he never has before. We're getting hit on all sides. He's hitting us really hard. And I believe now isn't the time for us to retreat, but I believe God is calling us to rally like we never have before because he is ready to work within us in this culture like he never has before. And that's why I'm gonna look at Psalm 127 because it's a rally cry that the people would sing and chant as they would come back to God's temple to worship him, to remember what really mattered.
And so this is how Psalm 127 begins. Solomon writes, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, before we go any further, I want you to understand what Solomon here is picturing. This is a picture of a frenzied life, of somebody who gets up really early and works late into the night in order to get ahead, in order to build up a good reputation, in order to build success, in order to build up affirmation from others, in order to build a life that the world around him can be proud of. That's what Solomon here is picturing. And what Solomon is saying is there are many people who are working so hard. They are burning the candle at both ends. They're putting in late hours. They're using all of their resources and time and energy in order to achieve all this stuff, but they're missing out on what really matters. And that's why Solomon reminds us, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Now, it's interesting to me that Solomon uses this image of a house because this Hebrew word for house actually could be used in three different ways, and it's used in three different ways throughout the Old Testament. It can refer to three different things, and I think Solomon is actually playing on this Hebrew word because the first way that it was used was to describe a family's place of dwelling, a home that you would live in. And so I think what Solomon is saying is these families come together from all over the world and they're refocusing on what really matters. He is saying, unless God is at the center of your home life, your home is never going to be what God intended it to be. It's not just that God should be a guest in your home. He should be at the center of your home. He should be building up your home. So it doesn't matter how big your family is. It doesn't matter how nice of a house you live in. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in or what street you're on. It doesn't matter how much time you even spend with your family. Unless God is at the center of your home life, it won't be as healthy as it needs to be. It will never be all that God intended for it to be. But then there's also another way that this word house was used to talk about a temple structure like the house of God. And here's the thing. Yahweh God, the one true God, wasn't the only God that had a temple in this day and age. A lot of false gods, fake gods, had temples. And these temples were magnificent and beautiful. And Solomon's temple, where, where the Jews would come and worship, it was magnificent and beautiful. And what Solomon here is reminding the people is, don't get caught up in the beauty and the majesty of the physical makeup of the temple. That's not what makes the temple special. You can go see a temple anywhere. What makes our temple special is that the one true real God is present in it. When God's people come together, he is present within them and it's a place for God's family to gather. And so the reason why we get excited about coming back to the temple is not because it's so ornate or because of its decor or anything like that. It's because it's the place where God dwells with his people. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I hope you do. 
We have an awesome, awesome facility here at First Church. I love our building space here at First Church. God has blessed us with a great facility. And there are times when I just pull into the parking lot I get excited, even when there's nobody here yet. You know, I just get excited. And when I walk into the building, I get excited. And I don't get excited because I really love the color of these pews. I don't actually, but, and I don't get excited because, you guys didn't know that, did you? But uh, I don't get excited because of the physical makeup of this building or because of the pavement in the parking lot is special or holy or something like that. I get excited because I know this is the place where God's family, First Church, comes together. And when we meet together, He is present in our midst. And we get to experience His presence in a way in this place like we can't experience it any place else. It is exciting to come together and feel God's presence among His family. And here's the thing. This place is a testimony to God's presence. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say, why do churches get all excited about buildings? Well, let me ask you, when you bought your house or built your house, did you, did you have anybody come to you and say, why are you so excited about a building? I mean, what's the point? Well, I mean, it's just a building. No, you're excited because that's the place where your family's gonna live, right? You need, a, you need a home for your family. And the same is true when it comes to God's family. This is a place where ministry is done, where people are reached for Jesus, but it's also a witness to the world that God is active in this community. And that's what the temple was supposed to be for the Jewish people as well. If you look in the book of Psalms, it says, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. They were supposed to come together in temple worship in such a way that their praise overflowed to the ends of the earth. The temple was a witness of God's presence. And that's what this place is supposed to be as well. If you're new to our church, you, know, you may not know that we're in the midst of an unstoppable initiative. And in this initiative, we are getting ready to expand our facility here. We're gonna build a brand new kids building, First Kids Wing. And we're also going to add on to our first years area, our uh, early childhood area, because our kids ministry, our first years ministry is exploding right now. And we are out of space. And that is an awesome problem to have, but it costs money to extend our facility and to have a new building. And I know some people are gonna say, man, why does the church need to build build buildings because our family is growing and we need a bigger house for God's family because this is a place where we are introducing the next generation to Jesus. This is a resource that God is using in phenomenal ways because according to every metric that you can look at right now, they're telling us that the church in America is dying, but it's not dying in this place and that is exciting. And so we're excited that we have this opportunity to continue to reach more and more in the next gener generation. But it's not just a ministry resource. It is that, it's primarily that, but it's also a witness to our community that God is alive and active in this place. And that we're a people that even in the midst of a bad economy are invested in what matters most. And we're faithful to the calling that God has placed on our lives. But this word house in Hebrew has a third meaning. It could also mean a legacy, like the life that you're building for yourself, your reputation, 
your family heritage, your namesake, legacy. And so if you're building a life, a reputation, a if you're building up achievements and success and plans and your career and education and family ties and friendship, you name it, and you're building it up without God, it's not gonna last. The whole point of this psalm is to remind us that without God, what we build won't last. That without God, builders build in vain. And so this psalm is a rally cry to make sure that God is in the midst of what we are doing with our lives, both in our individual families and in our church community, that we are doing what matters most to him. And when that happens, Solomon tells us what comes next. If we read on in Psalm 127, verse three says this, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Now this may seem a little bit out of place because we're talking about building up a life and also we jump to the subject of children and normally when we hear these verses, we hear them like in a sermon on parenting or maybe at a baby dedication or something like that. But these two ideas very much go together because when Solomon says children are a gift from God, what he is saying is, when you build your life, build your home, build your faith community on God, when he is the one that is your foundation, when he is the one that is building you up, then you will raise up a generation that is a gift from God to the world. You will raise up a generation that will make a difference for his namesake. You will raise up a generation that will take on the darkness that surrounds us. See, a lot of times when we read this passage and we, say, and we see that children are a gift from God, what we often picture is that children are something that are to be protected and taken care of. That's true. We should take care of our kids and we should make sure that they stay out of harm's way as much as we possibly can and we should provide for them. Don't misunderstand me. But that doesn't mean that we are to keep our children, or the next generation for that matter, from the world. Because did you notice what Solomon says here? We have one of these, actually we have two of these in our house. It's a china cabinet. It's not our favorite thing in our house, but we have two of them, and we have them because some family gave them to us as a gift, and so we keep them out, and the reason why I say it's not our favorite thing is not because we don't like them or anything, it's just we don't ever use them. We have all this china that we got for our wedding that, again, people told us that we needed to register for when we got married, and we have never used it. Alice and I have married for 14 years. We have never once used this china. It just sits there, and we kind of feel like you know, if we're going to have something in our house, we need to use it, but it sits there, and I guess it looks nice. And here's the thing. This is how a lot of people see children, that children are to be locked up, protected, and not sent out to the world. And that's not what Solomon is saying. Do you notice how Solomon described children? He says, children are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Now, let me, let me just say this. Arrows have a lot that they can do, 
And they have a lot of different purposes. But one of those purposes isn't being locked behind a glass door. An arrow doesn't serve its purpose if it's locked up. An arrow was designed to be an offensive weapon. And that's what Solomon is telling us. When we build our lives, when we build our community, when we build our families, our churches on God, what happens is we raise up a generation that is ready to go out and penetrate the darkness around us. That's what he's calling us to do. We're not supposed to go into hiding. We're not supposed to lay low. We're not supposed to play it safe. We're supposed to be a generation that is penetrating, piercing the darkness around us. That's why one of our theme verses for unstoppable comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' words when he talks about his church in chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And a lot of times when we read this verse, we think, you know, hell is attacking us. The forces of evil are attacking us. And so we are kind of defending ourselves. But I want you to notice something. What is a gate? Gates of hell. A gate isn't an offensive weapon, is it? A gate is a defensive mechanism. In the ancient world, when a city was being attacked, you would shut the gates in order to protect the city. And here Jesus is talking about how the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words, Jesus is calling his church to storm the gates of hell. That's what he's asking us to do, to be on the offensive to pierce the darkness around us, to make a difference in this world that is going in the opposite direction of God. So what does that mean for us practically speaking? Does it mean that we're supposed to be raising up a bunch of vigilantes or something like that? No, we're supposed to be raising disciples, people who love Jesus and love like Jesus. And as they do, they change the world because that influence impacts lives. You see, we shouldn't be afraid of the darkness. The darkness should be afraid of us because of the one who lives within us. Amen. And it's a change of mindset because I think for way too long we've been playing it safe. We're not here to be space takers. We're here to be difference makers in this world. That's what God is calling us to do. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. How do we do it? Jesus tells us. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we change the world? Not by force, not by violence, not through wars, not through politics. The way that we change the world is by demonstrating the character of Jesus. And when we demonstrate the character of Jesus in every area of our lives, through our friendships, as we talk with our neighbors, as we do go and vote for that matter, as we go out and we demonstrate the character of Jesus, it will change the world around us. See, that's why Jesus says, just as I loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How will the world know who he is? When we love others as he has loved us. Our love will prove to the world that we are his followers. Guys, I just wanna let you know my heart. I believe with everything within me that the church, the body of Christ, is the world's last hope. Because the, the church is Jesus's chosen 
instrument for telling the world about him. It was his plan that through the church, his light would shine in the midst of the darkness. And if we don't do what we are called to do, people will die and go to hell because of it. And I'm being blunt because I believe in the church. And that's why in the midst of a crazy economy, that's why in the midst of unstable politics, that's why in the midst of a world that seems like it is getting darker and darker, we believe the mission of God is unstoppable. And I've got some exciting news for you today because we've been talking about unstoppable for a while and we're going to start the construction process here in the next week or two. We're waiting on the city to give us the final approval, but it is almost here. Yeah. And so construction will happen in two phases. One, we will start with the early childhood bump out. We're gonna be adding on classrooms to our early childhood building, our first year's building, and we're gonna be building a new parking lot. We gotta get that done first. And then later this fall, we are going to start the actual first kids building. So we gotta do the EC and the parking lot first. That'll come in the next couple weeks. And then we're gonna start on the first year's building. So we'll have a big, huge groundbreaking for the first kids building that's gonna start this fall. I think it said first year's, first kids building this fall, but today is kind of a big day because we're getting ready to start the construction process. It begins here really soon, and so I think we need to rally around what God has called us to do. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a sporting event before where they've passed out rally towels, but normally they pass these out because in big games, especially when you have a rival or something like that that you're playing, you want the crowd on your side. So people will start to wave the rally towels, to get all excited, to let the team know they're behind them. And I've read some history on where rally towels came from and people debate it. Some people say it started with just players on the sideline picking up like sweat rags and stuff and swinging them around to let their fellow teammates on the field know they're behind them. Some people trace it back to certain coaches that would wave a towel or something. And then others say that like the Pittsburgh Steelers developed it and all. There's other ideas about where rally towels came from, but it doesn't matter. If you've been to one of those games, you know how impressive it is when the entire crowd is rallying behind their team. So you may have never thought that in church you would be asked to wave a rally towel, but I wanna challenge you to do that right now. You should have got one when you walked in. And so if you believe that the church is here for a divine purpose, if you believe that the church is the world's last hope, if you believe that we are here to pierce the darkness, if you believe that all the forces of evil don't stand a chance against the church, if you believe that God is with us and the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who knocked down the walls of Jericho, the same God who made the sun stand still, the same God who defeated giants, the same God who walked on water and calmed the storms and healed the lame and the blind and who walked out of the tomb alive again is with us and on our side. Let's rally around him today. Can we do it? Yeah. This is awesome, I love it. And here's the thing, I never thought that I would ever say that we would be waving rally towels in church, but hey, God's doing crazy things in our midst and we, we might as well keep it going. So we're gonna end the service today with a rally song. We're gonna pray for revival through this song and we're going to together believe that God can continue to transform our world through his church. 
So we're gonna stand up here in just a second after I pray and we're gonna sing. And as we do, whether you're in our modern hymn service or you're watching at home, let's rally together around our great God because we should never, ever question his power to transform a city, a nation, or his world. Now isn't the time for us to retreat. Now is the time for us to rally. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this day and this moment we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that together, as your church, that we would take the advice from Psalm 127 that Solomon gives us and that we would together rally around you. Because we know on our own, we can't defeat the forces of evil and darkness. But with you, all things are possible. And so today, let this time of worship be our rally cry. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.